Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you're insurgency me up, man. in their you're lives. Fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Big wheels keep on turning. Proud Mary keeps on burning. We're rolling, rolling. Rolling on a river in a boop 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 That was good until your Tina Turner dance. Dude, I can shake that. Are you kidding me? Tina boy, she get after it. She had it, dude. Legs for days. She had it. But she also had Ike, so that kind of knocked it down a little bit. All right. Moving on. Welcome to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, along with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell, and the Wiz, 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 Wizard. Thank you again. You're welcome, man. If you're a first-time listener, boy, do we have an insane show for you. You are going to literally be blown away with our guest today, and she's going to love that little pun. Intended yeah. on that one, Marcus, you met her on Range 15, right? That wackadoo crazy zombie apocalypse movie made by Nick and Matt and all the other cast characters that we've had on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were there together. And what did you That's think? The first time we ever met, I think, was on that set. Yeah, what did you think the first time she came up to you and was like, hey? Her, her smile is intoxicating. It totally is, isn't it? hypnotizing. It totally is. 
she leads with that. Yeah. She's kind of like, all right, what's coming mm-hmm. next? Because she can either tear, cuss you down or tear, right? <laughs> build you up. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it was great, man. I had, I had a lot of fun out there. It was, the overall, man, that, that was whole a great experience. experience. Yeah, was it was a lot insane. of fun. The cameo movie from hell. And- Dude, I went out there for <clears> two <throat> days and was literally blown away. You, you can watch the reason behind why they got together to make this, man. And, and I just, it's such a privilege to know those guys and to see their successes with Black Rifle Coffee, with Ranger Up t-shirts, you know, with uh, Article 15 and all the incredible other things that got going on. But today, I think we have the true heart and soul. So if you're coming back for more, right? right? She is the heart and soul of all of that, man. I mean, if, if, if you don't get fired up by listening to Mary Dake's story, then I, I don't think you have a pulse in your, in your body, right? Or you're soulless. You just need right? to go elsewhere. You need to go elsewhere and find some other thing to there listen to. There is no to. other place. Don't worry. This will. <laughs> this will. This is guaranteed. <laughs> this is one of those ones, Marcus. I guarantee you will be blown away because there's no doubt. So if you're a repeat offender, you're coming back. You are going to get the full dose that you're expecting on the Team Never Quit podcast. Listen, mm. if y'all want to know more about what it is, who we are, what we do, please visit our webpage at tnqpodcast.com. If you also want to leave your greatest Never Quit story, you can join our community, our TNQ community, our TNQ team. Post your greatest never quit story. Or heck, if you even know somebody that has an insane never quit story, post their story up. We'll put it up. If it's awesome, we're gonna read it. We're gonna we got one here for you today. If it's amazing, Marcus. Coming on. Coming on. And our next recording session, we're bringing one of these people on with us. Uh, we also finally got Wizard on uh, Instagram. He's just go ahead, which is a miracle in and of itself. That <clears> should be a whole show, right? <laughs> you know, getting the Wizard to social media. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> Actually, we get a truckload of fan response that people, they're, they're jonesing, man. They want to know your never quit story, buddy. One of these days, we're going to get it out of Instagram, man. What can I say? Yeah. So just search uh, the Wizard TNQ and you'll pop right up. You can. We also have a podcast page at TNQ Podcast on Instagram, and you've got mine at Team Frog Logic, and obviously Mr. Nev Quits is at Marcus Latrell. All right. Before we move on, here's a quick safety note from one of our great sponsors. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railroad crossing waiting for a train right? Signals are down, blinking lights, right? The crossing things, man. And you're sitting there going, hmm, man, I'm really late. I'm feeling tempted. I think I can get across these tracks before anything comes. Well, let me tell you what, brother, don't do it ever. Trains are often going a lot faster than you would ever expect them to be. And they simply cannot stop. Even if the engineer hits his brakes right away, it can take up to a mile for a train to come to a complete stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a load of smashed metal and just, and you're trashed as well too, right? Well, let's not think about that. The point is, is that you can't know how quickly the train is going to arrive. The train can't stop even if it sees you, and the result is guaranteed disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you just need to remember one thing, stop. Because trains can't. All right. 
You can also find us on iTunes, our catalog right now of incredible human beings. I promise you they will fulfill you and you will begin to understand the never quit mindset. You can also find us on any Android podcasting app. Uh, you can download directly off uh, or listen directly off the website. So any browser on any computer, any phone, anywhere out there, you can go ahead and find us. All right. Let's just get into this, man, because I there isn't any more I can say to build up. So, Wizard, could you please just give a, a brief bio and let's get this incredible woman on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Mary Wondernubs Dag. In a nutshell, former Army EOD, double amputee, uh, both of her arms, Purple Heart, obviously, for that. She's dedicated her life to helping combat wounded veterans now with suicidal thoughts and other areas of you know, other dark places. I mean, she's had a lot, so much success helping uh, veterans out with that. She was part of the, the Army's 707 Ordnance Company, and in Baghdad, Iraq, 2007, they received a call out from the, IA, uh, the Iraqi Army saying that they had picked up some, uh, an IED somewhere, <clears throat> and they were wondering what to do with it. They were told you know, to take it to, uh, they had a demolition range facility, and they'll, they'll blow it in place there. Well, for some reason, they didn't. They they went and placed this thing in a highly populated area, which in and of itself is very suspicious. Her unit decides to go out and handle this. They, they arrive out there, and I'm sure we'll get a lot more de- detail on this. They disarm it, and for whatever reason, as she's loading it, it goes off, uh, explodes while she's holding it, immediately amputating both of her arms. She took damage to the face. So she wakes up in the hospital, and um, this is actually kind of funny, and it speaks to the dichotomy of the grave nature of so much of her story, but then her humor, which combines it. She says, I woke up and everything was white, so I knew it was in the hospital. I looked over at my left arm and thought, well, that one's gone. And then I looked over to my right arm and I'm like, oh God, that one's even shorter. And she says, honestly, though, <laughs> I was just thankful to be alive. All said and done from this, she lost 70% of her hearing, um, had facial damage, uh, including a crushed eye socket and obviously to her arms. Moving forward, she goes through another, you know, she has to fight through another terrible uh, situation with when she's diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013. Wow. Um, They did catch it in the early stages, and after six months of chemo and a double mastectomy, it it has gone into remission, so she's a survivor of that as well. Since then, her mission in life has has become this, uh, she's a very warm personality, she's a very gregarious person, and... She has an affinity for helping people out of dark, dark situations, you know, listen to them and, and help guide them through that. She says, I tell them I've gone through a divorce, I've lost my arms, I've had breast cancer. I tell them I can relate, so just tell me what's going on. And wow. another quote here, she describes herself as an introvert who'd rather spend her time at home with her husband playing video games, but people need me. Um, That's powerful. I think those are just very telling in the simplicity and straightforward nature of you know, her mission in life. Amen. I dig it. Mm-hmm. What do you say, Mark? Let's get this woman on this show. Cause there is something Absolutely. about Mary. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, to do the it. keep turning. Marcus. 
one of the most incredible human beings that I've ever met in my life. And, and the reason is not because she's missing her arms, not because she went through breast cancer, not because of any of that, that she helps vets with PTSD, but because of her attitude, brother. You sure. want to talk about positive mental attitude, PMA, man, like they teach us in the teams, like they teach us in the military. This person has it flowing out of her aura, flowing Bang. in. She, like, Bang. it's almost like she she whips this energy across the room. She comes in, and it smacks you in your face. You felt it when you first met her at range 15, right? Oh, there's some of those people that that you can stand next to and no one has to say anything and you can learn something from. And you got those batteries, right? Those those power supplies. It doesn't matter what kind of situation is going down in the room. As soon as they walk in, it's going to shift into a, a positive direction. And and that's who this person is. So without further ado, man, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the TNQ podcast, Mary Wonder Nubs Day. Mary, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? Man, I'm above dirt. Good now. Yep, nobody's <laughs> shooting at us here in Texas. Uh, so how nice. It's a good day. So what do we got to do? How have you been, by the way? I mean, it's been a while since I've seen you, Margaret. You haven't seen her in a while. Been a How's while, everything yeah. going? It's it's going good. It's going good. It's um been a little bit busier this year. I've got a lot of stuff lined up. Did uh, Jay Redmond's Overcome Academy. I love Jay. Uh, oh, and I love that dude. Such a solid person. He is. He's one of those guys that I get around and I'm like, I'm not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> we know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Good Looking. But yeah, and then, and then this weekend, of course, we've got the EOD Memorial Weekend coming up. So this is always a real busy weekend for us. Yeah, and I'd love, once we get into the interview, I'd love to talk more about that weekend. And, you know, we've had some other EOD folks on that have, have talked about it. But I, I'd love for you to just dig into it and, and talk a little bit more about how important that is for y'all's unit and just, just military as a whole. So Absolutely. All right, but before we do that... Before we get into anything of any true relevance, right? We've got to do something that is critical to the development and the content of this wonderful show. And that was we have to do the mad minute. We've got to start warming up your prefrontal cortex. We've got to get your humor stretched out in a way that it starts flowing out of you. Well, it flows out of you like it's going out of style anyways. But we're <laughs> going to try and warm ourselves up to keep up with you for the rest of the show. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the mad minute. Now, these questions are going to be the most difficult questions you've ever had presented to you in your whole, but probably not your whole life but in certainly in the last <laughs> 10 minutes so are you ready mary for the mad minute one second uh-oh that was great man there it goes I, I just right time she just got her coffee oh, yes. a good hit of coffee <laughs> he asked a question then answered it did i do that a lot <laughs> don't i <laughs> i, I uh, do that I, what do you want? hey how you doing you're doing great <laughs> i know you're doing it <laughs> fire away so start uh, fire away marcus all right if you could step into anyone's life for a day who would it be Ooh, oh, good one. man. Ryan Reynolds. Nice. Ryan, yep. Nice. On Ryan's on fire. Would it be, would you wear the suit or would you just be Ryan All Reynolds? Day. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm telling you, he has taken superheroes to a whole new level with Deadpool. Yeah, he just, oh. I think he just threw, threw on the uniform. He's just playing himself. Yeah, totally. he was born for that role. Yeah. All right. Wizard, fire away. All right. You're a big gamer. So if you got sucked into your video game console to play it out in real life, which game would you choose? Oh, good one. Age. Dragon Age. Yeah. I have no Origin. idea what that means. What is that? that? <laughs> yeah, tell what is Dragon yeah, what is Age? Uh, Dragon Age is a Bioware game. It's a role playing uh, game where uh, you can either be a elf, a dwarf, or a human, or you can well, and you can be a mage, a rogue, or a warrior. So you get hmm. to choose who you get to who you get to play through as male or female. Uh, you go through your uh, in origin. You're a Grey Warden, which are the only people that can stop the blight and kill Darkspawn, which are super vile, ugly things, almost like out of Lord of the Rings orc style. Right. Oh, nice. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end, you fight an archdemon, which is a giant fucking dragon. And I, it's just <laughs> that I, that that'd be cool. I mean, that would be cool. Be a little hairy, but it'd be that, cool. When that virtual reality comes completely online, when you throw the helmet on, they drop you into any environment. Them get those gaming. Systems. It, it's it's I mean, a whole next level. I, I want that to happen in my life. Literally, lifetime. wake up and plug it's in gonna. your game, and then at night take it off and go to bed. Half the population <laughs> will never return to the real world. <laughs> or, or there's a, a theory in in uh, Sword Art Online. It's a I know it's you're gonna weed me out. It's an anime, um, but they have this thing called Nerve Gear. It's a headset that you wear while you sleep. Really? And, yeah, and you you play in this virtual reality world while your body's at rest. Oh Pretty my. Intense. I need this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, my God. I love it. All right. What is your favorite joke to tell when you're out and about? Bert says to Ernie, you want some ice cream? And Ernie says, sure, Bert. Oh, my. Good one. <laughs> it takes a minute. <laughs> Good one. All right, Marcus. Fire Dead away. joke repertoire. Right. All right. Your favorite place to relax? Uh, my man cave. Or yes, gaming den. People are like, "What man cave? You're a girl, whatever." Yeah, yeah, right. Wait, is it? Listen, once you get blown up, you get to have a man cave. Have <laughs> yeah. anything you want? Yeah, you have anything you want. <laughs> exactly. All right, wizard, fire away. Um, if you could have a dream prosthetic that doesn't exist that would allow you to do pretty much anything, what would it be? Do you have something like this? Um. All right, I'd have a I'd have a Skywalker arm or like one out of uh, Full Metal Alchemist where it's yeah, it's yeah. all connected to your nerves and stuff. So it's super powerful, but you can still manipulate it like you would your regular arm or hand. I know, man, those guys that have those Skywalker arms already, I, I, every time I see one, I'm like, oh, you, you can crush a car bumper, right? And like, nah, they tone it down so you can't do that, I guess. Well, and they're still in the phase like the 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 gears are so small they're they're not incredibly strong right. um but they're still in the phase where it's on muscle flexion so i i had the tmr so i essentially have uh, a bicep a tricep or i'm sorry two biceps and two triceps in each arm they just separate it with fascia so i have four sites mm-hmm. which is enough mm-hmm. if you don't have an elbow to run the elbows and the wrists and do it open close with your hand and that's it Wow. That's why I don't wear them because, like, I, if I can't even flip somebody off, what the fuck good is my hand? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mary, that's why I love you. <laughs> All right, here's a question I ask everybody from the Range 15 crew that comes on: If you could be president for one day and and pass one law that would go into effect 
immediately or do one thing, what would you do? Now that Matt Bass said he would have an international incident by sleeping with Putin's wife. That's what he said. <laughs> so the spectrum is wide open. The so, bar is high. Uh, the bar is high. Very what would high. you do, Mary? High. Yeah. Man. Shit, that's a good one. Uh, I would. Man, I'm I'm like on a serious note, I would I would like enact a space travel program and get us ready for intergalactic space travel. Mm. Wow, that needs to happen. Uh, uh, <laughs> great answer. All right, awesome. All right, would you rather have the ability to read someone's mind or to change someone's mind? Ooh, that's a oh, good change one. someone's mind. I, there's a lot of dark thoughts that I don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right? I'm supposed to be standing next to somebody or sitting by them on the phone. like, Jesus, right? You're thinking that right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I get enough of that in, in instant messages on Facebook. Just oh, random right? people say shit to me. I'm like, why would you tell sure. me that? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> no, I, I feel you on that one. I get it all the time, Keyboard too. courage. It's like oh, the yeah. ultimate dick pic, too, if you could read someone's mind just every five seconds. Stop it, dude. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you came if saw you coming in the room, I'd, I'd run. I'm like, man, I don't want to <laughs> even understand what's going on here right now. <laughs> Mary, stop doing that. Oh, if I knew somebody could read my mind, it would just I would fuck with them all day. Oh, like, sure. <laughs> Have that weird look on your face while they're – or a smile. It's <laughs> <laughs> totally. a weird grin. They're like, geez. All right, Marcus, last question. Fire away. All right, what's your favorite dive bar? My favorite dive bar is a, a bar back home, uh, the Four Aces. It is absolutely tiny. We had my 10-year boomiversary there this year. I used to babysit the owner's kids. One of the owners was a cop with my dad for a few years. And, yeah, just I love that place. I go there, and it's like my cheers. Everybody's like, Mary, hey. That's cool, man. Everybody oh. needs the cheers, don't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. Well, that's our mad. I think we were at nine or 10 minutes on that. Nine or 20. 20 minutes. All right. That's our mad 20 minutes. But the reason why people keep coming back to our show, obviously, is not for me and Marcus's humor whatsoever. It has to do with the type. My good looks. Negative. That's, <laughs> that's why it's a podcast. That's why we don't reveal your face, buddy. You know that, right, wizard? All right. Jealous is a hard thing, man. You don't wear it well. <laughs> <laughs> so so people come and listen to our show because they're facing their great obstacles in life they're they're challenged they're they're struggling to figure out that next ignition point to get them back in the fight so to speak and so that's why we reach out to to guests such as yourself who have incredible amazing way that you interact with people and share your story with people so mary if you could would you please share your greatest never quit story or stories with our listeners mm -hmm. yeah um there's there's a couple and i mean you guys know them um the the first one though happened when i was real little uh, i was six or seven um and though I, I should I, I should preface this with, with this is a very dark story, and I, I know you guys got kids, so it, it's going to be hard to hear. Okay, so just be warned. Um, <clears throat> but we we grew up very poor, lived in a trailer park in Montana, and uh, there was a guy at the end of our trailer park who he had all these toys and a Nintendo, and you know, and the only rich people had Nintendo back then. Um. And long story short, 
he molested my sister and I. Oh, man. And, yeah, I was seven. She was five and a half, maybe six. And uh, I didn't know it was wrong what he was doing at first until uh, he pulled me aside as we were leaving and basically said, you know, if you, if you tell anybody, I'll, I'll kill you, I'll kill your sister, I'll kill your parents. Um, and that's, wow. when, that's when I knew that it was wrong because you don't, you don't threaten people if you're not doing anything wrong. Um, and so, you know, mulled over it for a while, told my mom, uh, and you know, and my, and my dad, they called the cops. Of course the cops came. Turns out he had done it to nearly every kid in our trailer park. Oh my uh, God. So, yeah. They all, they all came out of the woodwork. Um, and his right before the, the trial or right after his arraignment, his, his mother bailed him out. Uh, and he, uh, ran me over with his truck. He tried to kill me, um, barely missed me with his tires. I got really lucky, got a lot of road rash. Um, and actually a woman with a a hole in her throat. I thought she was a witch up until now. She had really long white hair and always stayed in her house and like 10 cats. Um, she came out and saved me. She like peeled me up off the road, put her car in between my, you know, my little limp body and his truck when he was trying to reverse over me. Um, and, and got me to the hospital. Wow. Um, but I still, oh I still did the trial, you know, cause it, you know, at that point my dad sat me down and was like, you know, you, there's a lot of little kids out there, you know, your friends that need you to, to be honest right now and go up there and be brave. And so did it. <laughs> wow. Mary. Uh, Unbelievable. Hopefully I put that dude under the jail. Oh yeah. We, we actually, uh, my dad had to lie to my, my family, from what my mom said, I don't really remember this part, but they had to lie to my uncles because they were they were going to meet him at the courthouse. Sure. Yeah. Um, and and, and it, so how many families total did he attempt to destroy? Oh, I don't even know. It was just like uh, the, the cops came in and they didn't give us names. They're like, well, you're you know, you got a couple friends up the block. And then um, the trailer park wasn't huge at the time since it's it's gotten way bigger. Right. Um, but you know, from from what we know, it was everybody in the the two block radius, all the the kids there. Not everybody had kids, but yeah, you know, it's a fair few. And when when he was finally convicted, how old were you at that point? Oh, geez, we'd already moved away. Um, I think I was probably. Well, I mean, he was actually convicted. He was convicted real quick. Um, but sentencing, I think, took another like six months or whatever. Okay. Uh, but we were, we were moved away. away Is this part of the reason um, why you moved away? No, I don't think so. I think we just moved away because my dad got a job as a, a sheriff's deputy in a different county. Okay. Uh, wow. So that is the first one. Mm-hmm. And uh, how, sorry, can I go ask ahead. you? I got a quick question though. How how did you recover individually, and how did you recover exactly. as a family from that? Um, initially, uh, personally, uh, I did not handle it very well at first. I lied about absolutely everything, especially when we moved, because that was a, a chance to be anonymous. Um, and I, I was still very much afraid yeah. that you know if, if anybody knew anything about me, you know about my family, my sister, or whatever, then they'd have ammunition against me, essentially. Um, and so I, I lied about everything. I would make up these extravagant lies. Uh, and then, um, like I said, we were poor. My my school counselor and my teacher called my parents. 
um, they wanted me to go see a, a therapist, but we couldn't afford that. So my school counselor started, he pulled me out of class. It was like once every week or two weeks at first and would sit me down in his office and just be like, okay, it's okay to talk here, you know? And he, he's the one that actually gave me the tools to learn how to deal with adversity. Wow. Um, cause he, he taught me to talk about it and to be honest with myself and actually work through a problem rather than trying to hide it or bury it in lies. What is um, his name? Mr. Lusher, Dan Lusher. He was also the head football coach for a number of years in our high school. Fantastic. Wow. Man. That was a good man. Wow, sounds like a great oh. man. Yeah, and what least. were some what were some of the things that he taught you? Um, the biggest one was to be open and honest, like find somebody that you trust that that trusts you, you know, your your best friend or, you know, parent or something because I was a, I was a kid. Yeah. Um and and talk about it. Like that was the hardest thing for me to learn because you know you need to, and it's not just a, like an army or a military wide thing to to bury it and hide it that's just what people's human beings natural do instinct that. is to do yeah. yeah absolutely um but yeah he he taught me to talk about it and then that honesty will will get you through a lot more than the lies will and it's really about the honesty that in your own mind right it's it's not mm -hmm. so much a, we all try and and engage our our you know, how we relate with other people constantly, right? Through the, the effects of judgment and in, in society and what it, it mandates. But it's really those lies that get in our own minds that begin to contort who we are as, as a true person. Exactly. Wow. What a uh, talking about it is absolutely right here to the one, to one person or to a bunch of people. I don't, it wasn't by design what, after what happened to me and I got out and got on the, Lecture series, <clears throat> people ask me, do you have any therapists? Man, I talk to thousands of people every day. Yeah. They confess <laughs> everything about me. I mean, just the truth comes flowing out of it. It's, it's, it's kind of a peaceful deal because if you're standing in front of your people and they're, they're listening to you and judging you, and every time I get done telling the story, they're like, hey, good job. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm right? about, like, hey, good job. Like, all right, well, if you guys are happy with, with, with it, then I should be. I remember, I remember that when I first started talking to people used to always go, do you know, Marcus? And you know, what's, what do you think it's like for him to tell the worst day of his life every day? And is he okay? And, and I'm like, I don't know, probably pretty therapeutic, you know, I yeah, mean, he, it, you it know, becomes cathartic, right? Well, I totally. start talking about all of my bad stuff up there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let them judge me. And if, and that's the thing. I think people, when something bad happens, you think you're alone in that moment or, you're, or you are in that moment, I guess, but you're not a you're not alone in in what happened to you. I mean, it happens. No. Everyone yeah. has to go through some hard times. So when you kind of bottle that up, man, it's that, that negative insurgency, right? That gets yep. in there and starts chewing you up. And in reality, all you'd have to do is just talk to the person right or left of you. And talking to somebody you know is one thing. Talking to perfect strangers like we do, I mean, it, after a while, you, you notice there's no difference because we're all the same, man. We're all alike. We all have to go through these hard times and. And it's we're people, connected in the pain. Yeah, the people that are around oh, us, yeah. man, they're the ones that'll let you know that it's going to be all right. Amen. Yep. Well, Mary, how did having your sister go through the same situation? Um, did that help? Did that? How did that impact your recovery in it? Um, you know, Jennifer wasn't. She wasn't acting out. Um, she was so young that they thought maybe it didn't affect her. Um, but it, it very much did. And because I was acting out, I, I got the help. I got the 
the tools, you know, the, the scree- squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. Um, my sister didn't get that. Uh, so oh, wow. later on in life, she still hadn't really dealt with it and it was still part of her. Uh, and she, she kind of started acting out in her later years, uh, got into a lot of trouble in high school. We, we kind of like diverged paths at that point in our lives. Um, and not that we don't get along now, we very much do, but uh, you know, anybody who's ever met my sister and I, uh, we, we don't really look much alike except our eyes. Uh, we don't, our personalities are dramatically different. Right. Um, Although I will say, once she became a mother, that one eighty. Really? Uh, huh. Yeah. You wow. know, there's, you know, there's people out there who will become a parent, and they're just, you know, dirtbags, or the, or they're the exact same as they were. My sister became a parent and went from, you know, kind of a shitbag to mother of the fucking year. Wow. Like she, <laughs> really? That's true. Huh? Yeah. Really? yeah, she completely Thank turned God, around. Thank God, right? Yeah. <laughs> The last guy to get married in, in my crew, Tanner. He he's not a shitbag by any means, but he's a you know he's he's a dude. Yeah, he's a guy. He liked to go out and have a good time and raise a lot yeah. of hell. Hedonist. The minute he had that, <laughs> that baby girl of his, I mean, Mister Mom, Father takes takes her everywhere. <laughs> yeah. and we go shopping and just I mean, it's unbelievable. Everybody's like, what? It that was inside of you the whole time. It tunes you oh, up, right, man. It tunes you up. <laughs> All right, Mary, where I'm, where I'm, you, you talk about the divergence of paths. Can you help our listeners uh, understand that and then where your path took you next? Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I, I became more honest. Uh, actually, for a time, I was overly honest. Like, I, I had to be pulled aside a few times, like, Mary, you don't need to say that. Like, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I, I got into a lot of sports in high school. Um, you know, my, my dad kind of had the, the talk with me, like, hey, you're the oldest. You have to set an example for your little sister. So I was always in sports. Um, I always did well in school. Um, my sister didn't really do a whole lot of sports. Uh, she did up until probably junior high, and I think that was it. Um, she started smoking as a teenager. I've Never smoked. You know, I've gotten drunk a few times, like, give me that cigarette. And I'm like, oh, this is awful. Um, But she she took to drinking fairly young. Uh, She doesn't anymore, obviously. She's a fantastic mother. Um, But, you know, I had had planned on going to college. I was going to use a volleyball scholarship to pay for a good part of it. Um, and then I, I had, you know, the beginning of my stupid years and got engaged early and waited <laughs> and lost it and <laughs> ran off to join the military. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you slow down on that? You just went through a massive decision like, process. I got married and all of a sudden, yeah. oh, I joined the military. Yeah, I got, I got engaged and then I was in EOD and, and uh, yeah, wait, 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 wait. slow down. Let's, let's, all right, at least help us understand how you ended up joining the military it's a good story yeah <laughs> they usually are um, right <laughs> yeah. well like i said i got i got engaged to my high school sweetheart and he was awesome his his family was fantastic although he was the 14th child oof um yeah big big family um and there were there were quite a few expectations i i would say for me and uh i was trying to pick it all up 
you know, learning how to cook clean properly. So I worked under his mother for a while. Um, and one day, his, you know, his mom and I, we were, we were all at dinner and she and I were cutting vegetables and I was, I was like obsessing over the stitch. I couldn't get right on a quilt. It was something really silly. Um, and, and she just very off the cuff was like, Oh, don't worry, Mary, I'll teach you to be the perfect housewife. And I, like, yeah, my insides turned to ice. Just like, no. Wait, what? Like, I. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> I've glimpsed the future. So, yeah, all I, I, I really did. I had this vision of me, you know, 10 years removed with curlers in my hair and holding three babies barefoot. <laughs> like, come in the house. I have to cook dinner. Oh, just, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> So yeah, I went. I went and talked to a recruiter. It was actually my sister's recruiter. She had almost joined the army twice, and right before Meps, the first time popped hot on her drug test, uh, and the second time she just didn't go. Just hmm. huh. didn't go. Right. So my my recruiter, who was her recruiter before, he didn't really take me seriously at first. You know, a lot of people like you got siblings, you're going to assume they're going to be fairly similar. Um. But yeah, we got to uh, talking. He's like, "You really want to go?" I'm like, "I can't. I can't stay here. There's no future for me here." Wow. And uh, yeah, you wow. know, he was like, "Well, do you want to go to college?" I'm like, "Yeah, someday." But I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. You know, and at least this way, I have a chance to make a difference in the world while I'm trying to figure that out. Right. Um. And he was like, "Okay." And I initially I wanted to go in as uh, a cop. I wanted to be an MP or CID or something because that's what my dad did. Right. Um. And, uh, my my long term plan was, you know, maybe I'll get out. And I was really into science, so I'm like, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll get out, go into forensics, maybe be in homicide. That would be awesome. Right. Wow. So what? When? When? When was the decision? Like, hmm, EOD sounds good. <laughs> See what <happened> was. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, you do all your your duck walk and everything at Meps. They do all the all the testing, and then they're like, okay, pick your job. So it was like MP and the guy goes through, he's like, yeah, there's no slots for females. And I remember thinking like, what, why does my plumbing matter? Yeah. Like if, right? there's, if there's a slot, why does it have to be for a dude? I don't get it. Um, and they're like, yeah, we don't have that. And I was like, okay, so is CID out? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, what about like military intelligence? Cause my, my scores were fairly high. Yeah. And, uh, he looks, he's like, yeah, we don't have a slot for that either. And I'm like, I literally have no idea else or anything else that's, that's here. And so he starts going down the list and the dude's like exasperated at this point. He's like, oh, you're like my 40th one today. And yeah, so he's like reading down the list and legitimately at one point he goes petroleum supply. And I'm like, I am not pumping gas for you, man. Hmm. I don't care how you polish it. It's still a yeah, fuel transfer agent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speed. What's that? Pump gas. <laughs> oh. And then he, he gets to. EOD and he goes explosive ordnance disposal and I'm not kidding you every recruiter in that office like jumped up like take it take it and I like I looked around I'm like what's that like the bomb squad and he gets all uppity with me and he's like no it's explosive ordnance disposal it's the bomb squad bro yeah yeah it's the well, total bomb squad <laughs> 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 and so I was like all right you got a you got a video and I mean, you guys know, asking a recruiter if they've got a, a, a video of what they do, they're like an old woman with knitting pattern <laughs> magazines. Like they got like, oh, yeah, you want to see my favorite? 
And so uh, I, I sit back there and watch it, and they brought me in a packet, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can do this. Changes every day. It's a challenge. I'm, I'm not sitting behind a desk, which is my nightmare. Right. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so take us fast forward, if you don't mind, and you know, let's, let's get into it and, and talk about that day, so to speak. Yeah, um, so I you know, went through school and everything. I got assigned to the 707th EOD out of Fort Lewis, Washington. Um, when I got assigned there, it was only a 13-man company, so we're real small. Um, and that included wow. our supply sergeant, our chem guy, and our uh, admin, and our mechanic. Um, you only had we, nine techs total. That's T. To begin with. Wow. When, when, we, uh, when we actually deployed, we bulked up to a 44-man unit, okay. but it was still only 33 techs. Okay. But we deployed to Iraq. Most of my unit went to Taji. My team and one other team were fragged out to Liberty Victory to uh, cover the rest of 2-5 CAVS AO. Um, area of operations. Sorry, I always yep. forget to. No, put that's that in all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you guys know what it means, but yeah. So we were there for. We landed on January first. Um, there for about a year. By the time November fourth hit, which is the date of my incident, my team alone, and granted, we were in sixty-seven IEDs. What? Wow, that's a lot uh -huh. of clearance. Oh my gosh, man! What year was that? Oh seven. Oh seven. Yeah. Right after you guys left. Yeah. Left in June of 07, I think. Did you? Uh, yeah. yeah. It was a hot year. Um, <laughs> we'd done like 14 caches. Uh, and I, I call it a cache because we had a British tech that worked at Sexy, the Combined Explosives Exploitation Cell. Right. Every time we called it a cache, he'd look over and be like, you're not bloody French. Uh, oh, <laughs> to totally, like, totally. Okay, it's cache. No, I, 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 I remember being in a brief one time where my, my first platoon OIC called, kept calling it a cachet. And finally, the, the uh, captain looked over at him and said, excuse me, son, but if you're too dumb to know the word is cash, I might have to replace you. Jesus. True story, huh? True story, dude. Wow. I was like, damn. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it is. All right, so... Um, I, I mean, you were yeah. you guys going out every night? Uh, practically, because we had to, so we had two teams. Um, and what we did was what we called three days on, three days off. Three days on, you're three days on response. So anytime there's a a call in from a unit that's already out, we go out, we respond to it, come back. A lot of times that leads to secondaries, tertiaries. One time, like seven tiers removed. Um, what do you mean seven tiers? You you go out, you have your, you know, you're working on one IED, and while you're working on that, you get a call for another. So that's your secondary. Uh, and then as you're traveling or working on that one, you get a call for another. And then we're seven times up. later in 36 hours, you're like, can we go back to base? I'm really hungry now. I can't even see straight, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of bombs. I, I swear to you, one night we were, we were driving back, and it was, I, we were out for over 30 hours, and uh, the our security element had refit they they'd sent out a new security element and we were driving back and uh my team leader is passed out in the seat next to me my teammate is in the the uh turret swing and i can see his legs just dangling back and forth he is knocked out and i'm driving <laughs> and i swear to you i saw a panther run across the road and i i hit my team leader I'm like bruce bruce and he's like what and i'm like dude did you just 
Did you just see a panther? He didn't miss a beat. He goes, well, it's Iraq, so no. Like, okay, somebody else needs to drive. I had one like that. We were clearing uh, this valley cave, and I saw pink bunny rabbits. And I looked over <laughs> at my buddy who was, it was with the lunatic. And I'm like, hey, man, do you see the pink bunnies? He's like, yeah, are they like six feet tall? I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Guess it's- laughs> oh, all right. So. Can so, you can you can you explain it what it is like everybody I think a lot of people have absolutely seen the hurt locker is is that what it's like are you going out there is the intensity are you getting shot at as chaos all around help help people that are listening just understand what that moment would be like for you to show up and what you would do Um we got shot at fairly frequently uh but we, we were in the bigger truck. We were in the Jerv, which is the joint EOD rapid response vehicle. Um, that big six-wheeled monstrosity, mm-hmm. yeah. you see. Yeah. Um, at the time of the Hurt Locker, they were still in up-armored Humvees, sometimes soft tops. Um, and I will say a lot of those incidents are real, not the going outside the wire without your gear and doing a suicide mission. No, nobody does that shit. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, but we'd, we'd show up on site. Uh, security is supposed to be pushed out about 300 meters. That never happens. You just you never have that kind of room. Um, we, you know, do a, a quick long long range recon. We ask the guys, hey, what did you see? Where did you see it? You know, if, if we got to search for it, we search for it a little bit with the robot. Um, and you know, more than a few times we show up and they're like, hey, we've got an active sniper. I'm like, all right, staying in the truck. Um, for a while there, we had a sniper that was taking out medics and trying to take out EOD because they have a or had a, a fairly large bounty on all of our heads. Like they really wanted EOD gone and medics because we stopped yep. them. Yep. All right. So it's November now. You've been in country most of the time. What happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got called out for an IED that the Iraqi army had found. Uh, we told them to bring it to Constitution, which was an Iraqi cop that was attached to Liberty Victory, which has a disposal range. We could have just bipped it there because they'd already been driving around with it, picked it up, whatever. Like, okay. So instead of doing that, they brought it to a parking lot in between a children's school and housing apartments. We called them the Taliban apartments because they always ambushed us from there. Wow. So we get there and you kind of have to weave in between all the uh, – the, apartments and their their cables are all really low and of course you know we've got antenna we've got yep. the turrets so you're weaving back and forth we're all clustered up you know and and we all have a bad feeling you know even our our security is like raiding over like heads on a swivel man we don't like this because everything about us told us that that was a trap right um so we get out we kind of formed an l shape um my team leader went down. I was being trained as a team leader at the time. Mm-hmm. I was very vehemently pushing off being a team leader because I did not feel like I was ready. Right. Um, but I, I was doing training to be one. So Bruce would go down first. He would investigate. Then he would call me down, and I would work the problem. Um, so he went down, and he, he yelled something to me, and I, I couldn't hear him because the trucks are loud. I've got my earplugs in. He's like 100 yards off. So I pull out my earplugs and I'm like, what? And he goes, bring me trash bags. Like, all right, man. So I open the door, set my earplugs on the seat like an idiot, (laughs) run around the back, 
grab trash bags, bring it down to Bruce, and uh, we start taking the HME out of this device. It was probably two and a half feet tall, maybe three feet tall. Wow. Uh, it was, uh, but it was only about a foot and a half in diameter. It was one of their light poles. They had cut them down mm. and were just filling them with whatever they could make. Oh. Um, this one, though, they were ballsy. They, uh, they fed the blasting cap up through the bottom and then put a, a lug on the bottom of it and welded that shit on. Like, what? <laughs> wow, so you yeah, can't pull have, it out. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that myself. <laughs> yeah, no, <it> primed up. <laughs> yeah. Then I'm going to weld it. Now you're going to weld it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. So they uh, they had it there. You know, uh, I went down. Bruce and I are just taking handfuls of HME and putting it in this this trash bag. Um, we get down to where we can see the cap. And so I, I run the, ex- well, walk the explosives back up to the truck. Give them to Mick. Uh, he was trunk monkey is what we called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was in the back of the truck doing all the bang and everything. So I gave it to him. He put it on one side where we consolidate all the bang. Went back down. Uh, bang is what we call explosives. Bang, yeah. Frame, but, yep. Yeah. yeah I, I, you assume it's self-explanatory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go back down and Bruce goes to pull the cap out, um, but it sheared off. So the only thing in the bottom of the tube was... Uh, maybe an inch or two of the explosive, a rubber grommet and two wires. So he gives me the, the, you know, bad end of the cap as it were. I walk it up to Mick. He puts it in the cap pig, which is just a, a safe container that if that cap goes off, you're not going to know until you open the container. Right. Um, and we, you know, I go back down, grab the device, throw it up on my shoulder and I'm walking it back, and actually, the the our security unit. We've been working with these guys for months and months and months. We're real tight, and they're like, "Yo, oh, Mick, you gonna let that little ass girl carry that big ass bomb?" And he's like, "Ah, she's got it," you know. And we're we're joking now. We're like, "Okay, mission's mission's about over." And uh, I bring it back. Um, I laid it down in the back of the truck, and when I had thrown it up on my shoulder, my weapon kind of came up over my uh, collar. Because you know how you have the, the throat guard yeah. on the old... Yeah, I had taken that off and put it in place of my crotch guard as a joke. So my <laughs> my, uh, my sling was kind of choking me a bit. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I went to adjust my weapon. And when I looked up, the device was just rocking back and forth. And I, I just... I remember thinking like, oh, no, you don't. Like, nope, nope. Um, not in like a panicked way, but just yeah. like, no, 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 you're not supposed to move. Okay. Um, and I, I hugged it and it detonated. Wow. Uh, we, well, we, I found out two years ago, we, we did not know, uh, but it had a very sensitive kicker charge in the bottom of it. Um, and wow. it, it could have been huh. any number of things that happened. I could have scooted it. I could have tinked it on something. Um, any amount of friction. I could have just pissed it off by fucking with it earlier. Right. Um, but it, it detonated through me about 15 feet into the Humvee behind me. Very luckily my medics Humvee, um, threw my, my helmet off. My, my Kevlar went like up and over the Humvee explosively amputated both of my arms, uh, fragged my face, but I was, I was still conscious and like every, everything went dark. And, you know, I, I could taste pennies and 
I it was like being inside a church bell as Quasimodo screaming sanctuary. You know, like <laughs> it's <laughs> deafening, but you almost oh don't my hear God. it. Yeah, the foil <laughs> taste. Uh, yeah, like, God dang then. What about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's oh. And uh I I hear this woman screaming and screaming, and I, I legitimately thought like somebody shut that bitch up. And then I hit the Humvee behind me and I took a breath and the screaming stopped. And I was like, oh, that bitch is me. <laughs> later like okay well, it just it just rung my bell i'm okay you know it just i was just close but i'm i'm okay i'm still breathing you know and i'm like i actually like took stock i'm like i can feel everything i really couldn't you know my nerves are going crazy yeah and i i hear someone next to me and like mary mary you know like bruce like yeah like are you okay and he goes yeah i'm like where the fuck is mick because mick was in the truck and all I could think was I just killed him. Wow. And uh, But luckily, I had left the door open, and Bruce had left his door open, and the back door was open. So the blast channeled mm. out. So Mick didn't take the brunt of it. Awesome. Uh, oh, man, a series of bad decisions left, let a lot of people live that day. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's, I was like, where's Mick? And he's like, he's right here. Mick had flown out of the truck after me and had a tourniquet on my arm before anybody even knew I was hurt. Wow. Um, and then, you know, my medic's on the other side and I'm like, okay, what about, and he goes, Mary, shut up. It's just you. And I'm like, okay. And that's when I was like, okay. And I just, you know, took a breath and I'm laying there and then everything got really bright and then really dark again. Um, you know, and they're, they're cutting clothes off me. And at one point I hear my medic go, you know, I cut her clothes off and I hear one dude go, what? And he just, he snapped. He was like, if she was a dude, you already would have done it. And so he's like, okay, and they're, they're cutting my clothes off, and I'm laying there in my underwear. And I feel the penny shears go underneath my underwear strap, and I hear, dude, you don't got to cut those off. But, you know, it hurt. It hurt to, like, laugh or smile, but yeah. I was like, oh, God, oh, don't make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> and so they're like, hey, we have to, we have to put you uh, – you know, we can't land the, the bird here – we, we have to put you on a hardboard and put you on a Humvee. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I'm trying to roll to help him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I just went, meh. Right. And I'm just, I was just laying there talking to my medic, the whole Humvee ride there. And he goes, I just gave you morphine. And I remember that just going fucking thank God. And, uh, he, he goes, okay, well, you know, we're here. And I could already hear the bird, you know, and I remember thinking like the can have been a half an hour already. It wasn't, it was 14 and a half minutes. Wow. Wicked fast. Um, and so they they go to load me on the bird, and I'm like Bruce, you know, I'm like calling out for my team leader, because that, that's when I knew, you know, they're putting on me, putting me on a medevac on a litter. It's big. I'm not coming back. Yeah, yeah. I, like that. That was the worst part of it. I knew I was fucked up, but you know, when they when they took my flak vest off me, I actually thought I'm like that was too quick. Like I didn't feel it down the rest of my arms, like something's bad but then i was just like no 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 it's in your head just calm down just, you're fine um and i refused to look down because well he'd cover my eyes but before that i was like do not look at what's happening because right. i know I'll, I'll go into shock and uh so i'm like bruce and he he comes over he's like yeah and i'm like i'm gonna be okay and he's like i know and i'm like no man i'm gonna be okay you know because that's that was I was leaving them. That's bad enough. You know, I'm, I know I'm leaving them with a really shitty memory too. 
Yeah. I don't need to leave them thinking I'm going to die. So the whole way, you know, I'm, I'm on the medevac and I'm laying there and I'm just repeating in my head over and over, just stay awake. Don't go to sleep. Don't die. Stay awake. Don't go to sleep. Don't die. And uh, the crew chief at one point comes over and he goes, are you all right? And I remember thinking like, what the fuck do you want? A thumbs up? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm strapped to this thing, man. <laughs> god, I love you, Mary. Oh my god. So I just, I kind of try to nod, and uh, the bird lands, and they pull me off. And the doctor, I, I remember, like they they move me onto the gurney and goes, "Okay, Mary, we got you. You're gonna be okay." And I went, "All right." And that's when I let myself go to sleep. Wow, and it was intense. Yeah. <laughs> Holy, I can't even, I mean, it's unbelievable, Mary, that, I mean, just the blessing that it didn't take your head off, it didn't penetrate your heart, I mean, the fact that, you know, it it happened and what, I mean, you you know, you dodged one of the greatest bullets I think there is out there, that's why, you know, you guys in EOD are just so... So courageous, first and foremost, oh, what you do. and The hits y'all taken during our war, 30 of y'all's community, right? I mean, the, they've taken one of the largest hits oh, out God. of everybody every day watching you guys roll out because they'd have to go out ahead of us, clear those routes. You see them dragging those trucks back oh, in man, on dude. record. <laughs> All broken and towing them <laughs> and just every day We're, doing route clearance. They didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was heavy, man. All right, Mary. Oh, yeah. We we've had uh, uh you know several EOD personnel on with us. We've had other people that have have gotten hit by IEDs, and you know we had Kyle Carpenter, Medal of Honor winner on, who jumped yeah. out in front of a ate a grenade for his buddy, and a lot of them all talk about the recovery process as being their greatest never quit story. Would you just chat a little bit about that and what you learned about yourself and how you mm-hmm. started to heal in, in that process? Yeah. Um, I will say the, the most, not really ironic, but coincidental thing that had happened was just a few weeks before that incident. We were all standing around the smoking pit talking, shooting the shit, and we, we were all talking about how we want to die. Um, which sounds incredibly dark, but when you're always that close, it's just kind of something you, you think about. And most EOD techs, if you ask them, they will say pink mist. I just want to, and not feel it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Quick down laughs> yeah. Um, and I actually said, you know, I could lose a leg. They got some pretty kick-ass legs, but if I lost my arms, fucking pull the plug game over, man. No you way. Said that? Oh, wow. And my, uh, my team leader called me from Iraq. He's like, you know, you jinxed yourself, right? And I was like, what? And he told me, and I was like, you know what would be awful? If my arms just, like, spontaneously grew back? Because it doesn't happen that way. I'm like, well, I can try. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the very first moment when I woke up in the hospital in Germany, you know, you, you wake up and everything is sterile and you can smell it. It smells like a hospital. And I, I looked down at my left arm and I kind of raised it under the blanket. And I was like, ah, fuck, that one's gone and I looked down at the right one. I was like, oh, God, it's even shorter. And then I, I looked over and my, my now ex-husband, but husband at the time was there. And I was like, is, it, is everybody okay? And he goes, yeah, it's just you. And I'm like, all right. All right, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And uh, flew me back and I dealt with it really well for the first 10 days. Um, and then my mom comes to my bedside and she's looking at me and she goes, Mary, you, you look really bloated. And my sister's like, yeah, I was going to say something. You look really bloated. And I'm like, oh, my mom goes, Mary, when's the last time you took a shit? And I'm like, 
before the incident, and everybody freaked out. They're like, that was like 10 days ago. You're going to go septic. So they, they lose their minds. They go get the doctors. The doctors are going through charts like, how haven't you shit yet? I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm just here. Like, Right. I'm, why are you asking me that? That's my job. <laughs> That's my Do you have any idea how many drugs I'm on? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. And so I'm laying there and they pump me full of laxatives and they put a bedpan under me and they're like, okay, go. And I'm like, nah. yep, no. Nope. I'm like, three hours later, I'm like, just let me go to the bathroom. I'm like, you can't. And I'm like, yes, the fuck I can. And I'm <laughs> going to. So either you're going to put me on one of those little stands that carries all my stuff or I'm ripping these lines out. And so they're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So they bring me in there, sit me down on the john, and uh, I do my business, like, right away, right? And yeah. I lean back, and I flush, and then I look over, and my arms are still bandaged up. And I'm like, oh, my God. How, how am I going to wipe? And it hit, like, wow. you know, I always thought I'd be 90-something years old. Like, get in here and wipe my ass. That's fine. 23. Wow. Oh, man. It punched me right in the chest. I'm in there crying. I was a hot mess. And uh, my husband walked in and he, he like peeked in and he just like sees me in there just losing it. And he shuts the door. He's like, what's wrong? And it, it took me like another five minutes just to get it out. I'm like, I, I, I need you to wipe my ass. Wow. And that, that was like the breaking moment. You know, and, and he, he did. He took care of me, walked out of the bathroom, and they're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I just want to sleep. And I just, I, I slept off my depression for like a day. <laughs> and then uh, the next day, I had a surgery. And uh, after the surgery, they were like, what do you want to do? And I'm all hopped up on painkillers. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, yeah, my PSP's in my bag. And they're like, uh, Mary? I'm like, fuck, I don't have hands. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let's see what's on TV. So we're watching, you know, flipping through channels. It's all daytime soaps and just garbage. And they get to this one channel that plays music. And it's like oldies music. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to dance. Nice. Like, what? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to dance. I'm like, wait, wait right there. And so they all run out and get cameras, of course, and yeah. come back. And they're like, okay, go. And so I'm in my hospital bed cutting a rug to Footloose. Just like, what a great you know, song to start with. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, everybody went from, you know, down and I was depressed, the, you know, the day before and everybody's around me just like feeling it, too. And I'm in my bed dancing and everybody's smiling and laughing and having a good time. And that's when I just realized, like, you know, I can I can break down on my own, you know, and I, I can confide in my husband at the time. And that's fine. But for everybody else's sake. I, I keep that shit personal. It's got to stay in my bubble for now. And, you know, I have to be happy. I, I have to prove to them that this is okay, that I'm going to be okay. Um, you know, and, and for my brothers more than anybody, I, I didn't want them to see me like that, right. you know, broken. Um, One of the interesting things that I find that you compete that you said through the incident itself is is everybody else okay and then now you're being you know real vivid with your description of i i need to deal with my stuff and but i need to be strong for the people that are that care deeply for me 
Mary, you're, you're a remarkable human being in terms of that's how you processed from the beginning. What I want to ask is, you know, at any point, even up to the point where, you know, you learn that this is something that you've got to do because you are the reluctant hero, man. If there's anybody I've ever met in my life that, you know, that's you. And, and, mm. But you're so dedicated to helping other people. You know, can you take us fast forward and even, even I mean, I, I don't think many people probably know that you also had to battle breast cancer and, and had to go through chemo. You know, can you just help us? Is, was there ever a time where you're, you're like, all right, it's, it's my pity party time now and, and, and I, I want some <laughs> love here? Or have you just always have this just, you know, this unbreakable spirit? to want to be kind of to, to care about serving others before yourself? Um, that's a tough question. I, I will say I've, I've definitely had down days, you know, and especially during my recovery, you get frustrated trying to use prosthetics, trying to do something. And I, um, there were a couple times, um, and I actually tell this to anybody going through a very significant loss, whether that's, you know, loss of another person or loss of a limb um, loss of something that is essentially a piece of you. Um, you have to at least have one day where you cry and you scream and you hate the whole fucking world. Cause why you, why not somebody else? What did you do? Mm. And then you need to realize that if not you, somebody else. And that's what I did. I, I you know, I had that day where just, I hated everything. And then right after that, you know what? No, I did this because I love everything. And, you know, I wasn't, I damn sure wasn't going to let it change me. Right. Now, now most people would, that'd be enough for one lifetime. Obviously, what what (laughs) was, did you have one of those days again when you found out you had cancer or were you like, oh, this is no big deal? No, actually, uh, the cancer story is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> so I, I went in for a breast consultation. You know, I've, I'd been doing peer mentoring and talking to a lot of people. And I can't tell you how many people asked if I had lost my tits in the blast. <laughs> wow. People actually ask you that question. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, at one point, I, you know, my, my current husband and I were at the EOD Memorial and this salty old Vietnam vet rides up on his Harley. And I know he's a Vietnam vet because he's wearing the leathers and the patches and the bandana. He's got it all right. And my husband was on crutches and he looks at him and he goes, ah, brother, what happened to you? And James is like, ah, I broke my ankle playing ultimate Frisbee. And I was like, bro, you need a story. <laughs> the guy goes, like, goes, oh, man, what severed my foot in a motorcycle accident? I feel your pain. And I'm like, bro, I think you had it worse. <laughs> like, Dude. <laughs> and he does it like the classic double take and looks at me and goes, oh, man, what happened to you? Because I'm, I'm there in a hot pink tank top with yeah. the white flowers over it. You can see my arms, you know, and I'm wearing sunglasses. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, I was, I was EOD. And he goes, so what happened? I'm like, oh, I, I rack. He goes, oh, so what happened? I'm like, oh, you want the story? Oh, okay. So I, in a nutshell, I tell it to him and I shit you not. Dude claps me on the back, goes, you're a brave man. I'm like, no, I'm not. Mm. And I'll like walk up with James. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I need tits. He talked to me and thought I was a dude. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> no way. Wow. <laughs> 
so I started to get a little self-conscious, right? Right. And I, I tell the my case manager, and she was like, you know, we can do something about that. And she's like, the very least, we could get you a consultation with a, a plastic surgeon. And I was like, you know, I've never been that vain, but I'm, I'm considering. Yeah, you yeah. know, let me talk to him. And so I go in, and I had just had my annual, uh, you know, my women's exam, and yep. they do my breast exam for me, and everything was fine. James comes back from Afghanistan a week later, not even, it was like four days later, we go in for the consultation, and the doc was like, yeah, we'll definitely do this, and he's feeling around, he goes, you know, you got a lump here? I'm like, what? No, no I way. Just, I just had my exam, there's no lump. He goes, oh yeah, there's a lump, but you're young, and we go through all this stuff, you know, and they do the ultrasound on the lump, and I'm looking at it, it looks like a, like a bean, and then she pushes down, and I go, oh, that's not a regular shape. And the doc like turns the screen away. I'm like, yeah, doc, I can read an x-ray. Bomb squad. <laughs> like, right, right. And she's like, uh. So I ask her, you know, like, is this, is this something sinister? And she just goes, uh, we're, we're going to send it away for testing. I'm like, okay. So I wait the most grueling two weeks of my life. And my case manager calls. And she goes, hey, Mary, we got your results in. Can you come in like tomorrow at 8 and we'll, we'll discuss them with you? I'm like, yeah, sure. She goes, okay, great. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow. And I get off the phone and I look at James. I'm like, I have breast cancer. And he goes, they told you that? I'm like, no, they didn't say you don't have cancer and they want me to come in tomorrow at eight. <sighs> I have cancer. He goes, no, 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 no. They just have to read it to you. I'm like, no. Yeah. So I go in. And my case manager's like, I'll walk you over to the doctor's office. And I'm looking at James like, eh, I told you. <laughs> we get in. I, I sit down with my doctor and he's already got like tears in his eyes. And he turns and he looks at me and goes, it's stage one breast cancer. And I, I looked at James. I was like, I told you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I was right. And your husband's like, that's not funny. Yeah, I was like, oh, that sucks. Like, okay, so, you know, what's the, what's the deal? And they, they did some tests and it was a really rare form of cancer. It was slow moving but very fast growing. Um, so they did a study on it, the Cancer, cancer Care Alliance. And uh, did my chemo, which that was the worst part. Cancer, it's not that bad. It's the chemo, the radiation, and everything that goes with it that fucking sucks. Wow. Um, and that, yeah, I learned to really hate Mondays because that was chemo day for me. I just go in, get stabbed in the chest, get filled with poison, and then puke my guts up for two days. Oh. Oh, <laughs> my God. Like, I'm 5'9". I dropped down to 109 pounds. Just, mm, Mary. Oh, I was sick. <laughs> wow. And how long did the chemo go for? Six months. They, they gave me an option. You know, they were like, well, we've got this three month treatment, the six month treatment. This one does this, this and this. And the doc's going through the whole spiel. And I was like, doc, does either of them let me keep my hair? They're like the six month one. I'm like, then we're doing that. Yeah. It's the only, this is the only trait I give a shit about. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, not. Nah, but this is it this. yeah <laughs> all right well when did you hit the point where you're like well i'm i'm gonna just pull the trigger and get a double mastectomy then um well I actually only did the single one oh, okay um I, I asked for the double but they didn't they didn't want to um because we did the genetic testing and i have no markers for any type of cancer at all um so the only thing they can come up with is it it was environmental um, could be from all the drugs I was on after the blast. It could be the fact that it was a very dirty explosive. Right. Uh, it, you know, it could be any number of things, but it wasn't genetics. Um, a lot of changes, but you know, it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't anything. I wasn't like 
you know, it, it didn't hit me like losing my arms hit me. Right. You know, it sucked, but. It's not the end there. of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I lost a nipple. Whatever. I got a sweet tattoo. i love it hey mary something we kind of breezed over is how you met your husband and then that took you down the whole road of i mean to this point you've helped an awful lot of veterans come out of dark spots it just seems to be a gift you have with your personality and that's coming across i mean we can see why can you tell us maybe you know the story of meeting your husband and and that process or getting involved in you know helping out other veterans Yeah. Um, I met James, uh, the the first time I met James, I was actually in a wheelchair, uh, right after I got blown up, I had broken my knee. Uh, I, I was typing on my computer and passed out after standing up and my foot got trapped under my refrigerator. So I snapped my tibia and my fibula at the head, Mm. tore my ACL, pulled my PCL and flipped my meniscus. Ow. Yeah, that didn't feel good. Ow. Get after it. I, I, <laughs> I cried a little bit on that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so I was in a wheelchair and I came down for the EOD memorial and a lot of my instructors were still teaching here. And this was during the surge. So, you know, they're just pushing bodies through. It doesn't matter if you're qualified or not. Um, and the millennial boom was starting to come through the entitled little shits, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> so my instructors were like, hey, will you go scare them? I'm like, how bad? And they're like, all the way. I'm like, yeah, you know what door you're opening? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, you know, they get everybody out in the hallway. And I go wheeling down the hallway and I'm like crying and screaming, like, get out now. No one told me this would happen. Oh, I was going to play professional <laughs> volleyball. My life is over. <laughs> my, my husband just happened to That's be awesome. in the hallway. Um, I didn't know at the time. Uh, until later he got stationed at my unit and apparently he heard all the Mary stories because I was, um, as I said, I was a ham and I was very outspoken in my unit. So it did, uh-huh. I, I didn't give a shit what rank you were. If you came in and did something fucked up, I would tell you to get the fuck out. Like I was just like, no, <laughs> like you will not mess with my guys. Yeah. Um, and so they had all these stories of me just losing it on people and, uh, and my silly antics. I'm a prankster. Uh, so we all went out right before the guys deployed and uh, it was their first deployment without me. I, I, I couldn't watch them go without me. Yeah. So I went to go see them off and I was telling that story at the, at the dinner table and James starts mm-hmm. laughing. He goes, yeah, it was pretty funny. And I was like, Aru, <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> you were there. I never thought I'd meet any of you. <laughs> and uh, we, we went out. And he met a, a ranger widow, actually, at, at the bar. She was very forward, too. Uh, she was like, hey, can I buy you a drink? He goes, yeah, but I'm leaving in two days for Afghanistan. And she goes, oh, well, do you have any friends that are staying behind? I'm, I'm here spending my husband's life insurance and looking to be someone's sugar mama. Like, she mm. was just put it wow. out there. So he brings her to the table to meet everyone. The table's, like, chest high. And she goes around shaking everybody's hand. And she puts her hand out. And I'm like... All right. And I stick my nub in it. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And puts her left hand out. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I stick oh. my left nub in it. <laughs> she's like, yeah. She's like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, calm down. Calm. I had no idea she's a widow. I swear. Yeah. You know, like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have messed with her. Um, she's like, can I buy you a drink? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll take a rum and Coke. And she comes back and she goes, can I hug you? I'm like, yes, of course. I'm like, thanks for being a good sport. <laughs> yep. So then they deploy. And uh, a few months later. James gets put on a new team with Wade Slack and Dave. 
uh, Dave was the team leader, and they're out clearing UXOs uh, for one of the the forward operating bases. Actually, it was just a cop at the time. Uh, combat outpost, sorry, mm-hmm. for the listeners. And uh, they'd finished, but they got a call like, hey, you know, we've got, we're expecting incoming at this time or between these this hour and this hour. Like, okay, cool. So they find a, I think it was a striker, and they're sitting in it because incoming's about to happen. And the LT in charge of the striker came in. He's like, you guys are going to steal my shit. What are you doing here? Like, taking cover, sir. Literally the only cover around. And he's like, get out of my truck. You're going to steal my stuff. I know where everything is. Like, we're just trying to stay alive, man. So he kicks him out of the, the striker. So they're standing by a wall. They're waiting for the incoming. And Wade has his headphones in. And uh, James and Dave heard the rocket motor coming in you know it gets it gets louder if anybody's mm-hmm. ever heard a rocket come at him it gets louder um and so they hit the dirt and it strikes like three feet from them and they all they start running inside and james turns around and wade is still laying in the dirt so runs over and he's got a hole in his face that goes through his face and out his neck and there's nothing in CLS that tells you how no. to deal with. It. So he's, you know, he's screaming for the medic. They're trying to save him, get him on the bird, and and James is like, "I'm going with him." And uh, he died on the bird. So James escorted his body home. And when he got back here or back to Washington, where we were living, uh, the base was gone. Everybody was deployed. You know, there's there's nobody there. Um, the commander, the battalion, or I think he was a battalion commander at the time, was a real piece of shit. He was my unit commander before we deployed. I, I've never liked that man. Mm-hmm. We, we were always a stepping stone to him, and he was very verbal about it. Um, he, <laughs> James came back escorting Wade home with the clothes that he wore. That's it. He had nothing. And when he got in there, the commander was like, you'll wear a uniform when you come in here. And he was like, all right, I'm not coming back. Wouldn't let him use the, what we called the exploder, uh, even though nobody's using it. (laughs) So he told him to like rent a car and everything. And, uh, you know, as as soon as I got wind of it, I was like, dude, you're not, you're not going to be alone in the barracks for this. Like, absolutely not. You come stay with me. You can take my car. It's not like I'm driving, you know, whatever (laughs) you got to do. Like, but you're not, you're not going to be alone through this. And, uh, that's how we, that's how we met when he came back. Like we started talking pretty much every day cause he still had to work, you know, yeah. you know, he's, he still has to go back to and deploy and deal with it. And that's, that's harder. Um, mm. you know, that's you know, a lot of people worry about my recovery when I got hit. Yeah. I had it hard. It sucked. I didn't have it nearly as hard as my guys, you know, they, they lost a brother. Yeah. James lost a brother. That's that's way harder than what I went through. And so, you know, I, I couldn't let him do it alone. And we became really good friends. About that time, I finally had enough of my ex-husband and, and the things he was doing. And uh, asked him for a divorce. Um, and Bruce, my team leader, after everybody came back from the deployment, we all went out. We did suits in Seattle, got hammered. Bruce was playing matchmaker, introduced me to two glorious douchebags. 
(laughs) (laughs) One dude came up and he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm Bill. I'm, I'm, you know, EOD. I was like, Oh really? What unit? I'm like, that's, it's awesome. And he's like, Oh, what? And I'm like, well, I was EOD. We probably know some of the same people. He goes, Oh no, 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 no. I'm not EOD. I'm part of SEAL team six. I work with EOD. I'm like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're out there. Here we go. Oh God. Yeah. So James rescues me from douchebags one and two. And uh, we all got hammered. And then we started dating. <laughs> and it's just that simple, ladies and gentlemen. Rest <laughs> is history. Oh, Mary. I, you know, the I love your humor. I mean, you're one of the greatest people I think I've ever met my whole life. I mean, Make me blush. When, no, it's true. And listen, you, you've met me for five seconds. I'm... I'm a motivational person myself. I, I love to, I love to find the greatest attributes within the human condition. But hearing your stories, your never quit stories, gives me hope in everything that I know I'll ever face in the future. And I know you do this on a regular basis, and it's not like it's like, man, you're doing it for anything other than to serve, you know, your fellow service men and women and to serve your friends and is that what your purpose is in life now and 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 how often are you doing it where are you doing it what's going on um yeah it is i uh you know i've always had a bit of a superhero complex you know i always just wanted to be a superhero um and and save lives like uh you know the the speaking i do especially for for veterans and um if anytime you know the army or eod or anybody wants me to come talk to them i don't i don't charge for that like i i can't keep the tools that i got as a child to myself from from guys who've never gotten those tools you know that's just that's a waste of a fantastic tool yeah um so i i do what i can um I'm probably out doing some event or some speaking engagement once a month. Uh, sometimes a, a little bit more, uh, you know, and, and anytime, you know, Jay asks me, I'm like, yeah, man, I'll be there. What do you need? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Um, Mary, what you just said reminded me of a quote you, you said before that I found here, instead of doing an ice bucket challenge or 22 pushups, tell the government to teach soldiers how to handle it, how not to bottle yeah. things up, teach them to talk to somebody. That's what we really need. Specifically, how, how do you see a good way to get that implemented and out there actually make some change? It has to be done at the bottom level. Like it, it has to be instilled in, you know, in, in privates and seamen and, and, you know, young Marines when they're in their basic or their boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you're, you're taught in, in basic training, suck it up. You know, and I'm not saying let, you know, get a cry closet or something like that, but <laughs> safety oh, safe space, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my safe space, my drill instructor can't talk to me over here. Yeah, no, I'm pulling <laughs> my stress card. Um, but it's something that it definitely needs to be taught. Um, you know, it, and they, they really need to get rid of the stigma that if you have a security clearance or you do a stressful job, that if you talk to psych, that your career is over which is not mm. necessarily untrue. You know, that stigma does exist for a reason. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's killing people. A lot um, of it's people. It's killing very good people. Yeah. Um, and it's something that it, that needs to change. You know, if somebody's strong enough to go, this is fucking with me, I need to talk to somebody. 
that is a person you need to get help right away because they are a very valuable asset. Amen. That's something that needs to be taught, like drilled into you in basic training. Like, look, if you if you have something legitimately traumatic happen to you, you need to talk about it. You need to go see somebody. You need to work it out while it's still fresh so it doesn't poison you because that's what it will do. Yep. All right. Before we wrap it up, I, I you know, obviously – our listeners are probably just sitting, you know, with their mouths wide open. No, they're definitely not asleep. <laughs> Our other shows, for sure. When Marcus and I ramble on and talk about nothing, they fall asleep, for sure. Not with you. There, there are people right now that have gone through trauma in their life. They have been, they were molested as children. They have gone through traumatic divorce. They, uh, they have cancer. I mean, I, I mean, everywhere I turn, people are getting cancer. And I lost Man, a very yeah. close a friend of mine a couple of years ago to it after two year battle. But so sorry. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And and uh, it, but what they need. And the people around them is they need some kind of some kind of ignition point. They need something, some idea, some concept that gets them going to prepare them to get back in a fight. What would you recommend for people that are have are in the midst of the trauma or have just finished it? What should they do? Um so we've, we've talked about it a few times. You need to talk about it. That's a big thing. Find somebody that you trust. You know, and a lot of people think, oh, you're just going to, any psychiatrist will do. No. No. <laughs> if you don't have a connection with somebody, it's not going to help. Um, but two things. You need to find something that drives you. You need to find a motivation. Something that you find a passion in. And pursue that. Mm. Um, you know, they're like, like there was uh, touting the the next objective. You need mm -hmm. an objective. You need something to work towards to better. Um, and secondly, you need a hobby. You need something that legitimately just makes you happy. It helps you recharge your batteries. You know, for me, it's video games. It's one of those things when when I get stressed out, I like escapism, reading books, mm -hmm. watching movies. But video games is something that's completely immersive, um, and it helps me recharge. Um, you know, because dealing with trauma is draining. Yeah. It, it will sap you of all of your energy. Um, you need something that helps you just kind of put it in a box for a minute, step away, recharge, and then handle it. Um, and a lot of people overlook that. They think, oh, as long as I just have an objective, I'll be fine. I, no, 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 no. You need something that makes your heart happy, too. Wow. That's, That's great advice. advice. It's a combination of the both. I mean, you're sitting there wallowing in your own darkness, man. It's debilitating. It gets, it gets mm -hmm. worse and worse and worse until finally you got the the dark room. C curtains closed, TV's yep. on. But yeah, yep. the, the best way to do it is to break out the monotony, have that plan. The, 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 everything they did to us in the military from time we get up, time we go to bed, from the shade, make your bed, and all that stuff, it's routine, man. It keeps that yep. mind functioning, and it forever changes, and that's that's by design. That's why that's there. You shut all that stuff out. You're kind of shutting off the basic line that gets you back into the fight. Yeah. Well, Mary, I, I just, uh, we, we all are so incredibly honored that you, you exist in this world and that you would consider <laughs> coming on to our show from the first moment I ever met you to everything that Nick has ever said, anything Mike has ever said about you, anybody I've ever, what Tim says about you, 
You, and what I know of you, you are one of the most incredible human beings that exists on this planet. I'm going to take I that believe to heart. That. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm serious, Mary. Everybody that has an opportunity to pay attention to you, to listen to your story, to hear what you have to say, can take away some positivity that can keep them in the fight, Mary. Uh, you are amazing, and I just I feel completely blessed to know you and to have you on this show. Thank you. Would you please tell our listeners where they can follow you, where they can visit you, where they can hire you for their company <laughs> to have you come and speak? I, I just tell people where they can get in <laughs> touch with that motivation and that inspiration on a day-in and day-out level. Would you please share that? Yeah, um, I'm on all the social medias, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. I have the public page where people can reach me. And just look up Wonder Nubs. You'll find me. I <laughs> <laughs> love that name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm also, like, I'm, I'm always in Drinking Bros because uh, JT made me the VP of it now. Awesome. So I'm, I'm, I can't escape facebook ever now no uh, <laughs> no that dude is 24 7 man oh it's, man uh, he's remarkable oh yeah no i love that guy um but yeah so i, I do that a lot i i'm on linkedin but i'm i'm still mm, i have so many out. social medias yeah yeah all right so we won't go to linkedin but definitely instagram <laughs> definitely yep. facebook and they can contact you there if they want to hire you for a speaking engagement anything mm -hmm. like that right Yep. The, the public Facebook page is probably the best because I have um, my husband and my buddy Joe also monitor that one okay. because it, it gets the most traffic. Yep. Um, and I, I have to watch out for devotees, which is kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, a little weird. <laughs> we, yeah. Marcus, they're outright stalkers for him. <laughs> yeah. Nice way to put it. <laughs> Get a little strange. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right, right. It's it's weird. <laughs> it is weird. Well, Mary, um, thank you again so much. God bless you. you and everything you're doing. And if you would, we'd love to have you back in maybe Absolutely. six months or a year just to have to catch up with you, talk about some more stuff because you just you're awesome. <laughs> thank you. You know, I'd absolutely love that. Perfect. You guys made my day. This is awesome. Yeah, cool. it's been an honor having you on. Thanks. Uh, keep keep getting out and keep that smile going. It's, uh, it's infectious, <laughs> isn't it? Intoxicating, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> All right, on. God bless you, Mary. You guys, too. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, let's get back to Mary. I've met a lot of people in my life, right? And I've met a lot of people that have been through the ringer. Being on the set with her, you get to see her jovial attitude, that upbeat spirit that makes everybody laugh, and that's that's true to form to the kind of gal she is. Well, I, I tell you, man, we, I, you know, I talk about going to dinner with her. I was out in an event, and you know, I was staying at the Beverly Hilton, and I invited her and Nick and and Tim, who who did the documentary, to come over and just have dinner with me, and. And I'm sitting there when she's just keeping the conversation going. She's hilarious. Then she's getting this phone call from this guy who's getting on and hanging up and getting on and hanging up. And it's just her. I mean, that's what it is. And and I think what she repre represents is that indomitable spirit. Yeah, that absolutely. no matter what you face, what you go through, child molestation, 
having your arms blown off by a bomb, getting cancer and having a mastectomy, right? A divorce. You you can't you can't make that up is what That's I'm saying, man. It doesn't matter what it's wrapped in. That that powerful energy can push out of anything. And I think, you know, you have to believe that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're, we're everyone gets that hand, right? Sometime in life you're going to get de- dealt a bad hand, man. You're going to have to play it or fold. But when you play it out, there's usually another hand to be played. And you just keep going and keep going, man, and it's Halfway that way. He, when he got shot, dude, and after that, he lived through it, and he found out he had cancer. It's just kind of like one after the other. They, they, took, they got me on the outside. Now they're coming for the inside. It's that ultimate battle. And, man, those are those true warriors who can push through that and still have that attitude and pass that down to the rest of us. It, it, I mean, like I said, it doesn't matter what that energy's wrapped in or, or how it's delivered, man. It's sometimes you can just stand next to people. And, and, and they got it. And they got, yeah, and they can, you can learn everything you need to know from them. Without him saying a word, and I and that's what I love about Mary. You know, she she talks about the it's impossible, right, Wizard? It's impossible to do it alone. You can't if you internalize it. You although what she did say, what I found was unique, is she does compartmentalize her stuff on an intimate level with very close people, right? If she's dealing with it, she keeps it tight. But and on a macro mm-hmm. level. She, you know, I think there's a little contradiction there because she's wildly open, right? She doesn't, she's willing to discuss everything. And all the, the PTS statistics are, you know, undeniable now that if you don't get in and begin talking about it within the first six to 12 months, every additional year or two on it, the, the unlikely of your management of that post-traumatic stress gets worse and worse and worse. And that's why a lot of people believe that the Vietnam vets are gone. We can't, we can't bring them back to a, a more functional baseline. It just becomes more deeply and deeply ingrained, huh? Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Well, she, you know, just prior to you saying that, you were talking about there's kind of this dichotomy before, between her internalizing things, but also this obvious gregarious nature, which, you know, is a, is a major part of her. Um, there's a quote she says here. She actually s- describes herself as an introvert who'd rather spend her time at home with her husband playing video games. But, quote, people need me. And it's that simple for her, I think. Yeah. People need her, and she responds to it. What, what I, and, and I like how you said it's that simple for her. Because, Marcus, I don't know about you, brother, but I got the sense when she talks, it, it's pretty black and white for her. Which is what you get, man. Right? I'll tell you something. You ever been in a situation where someone has, when your friends have to take care of you, wipe your butt and bathe you, haul you around and feed you? I have not you, been You still there. have that, the, I mean, your mind's still sharp, but it's your, you, so you know that. I mean, that's, mm. that's a feeling of dread because your whole life you're trying to grow out of that. And it, is it man, more it humbling it, or oh, than yeah, anything? All, yeah. That's all that bravado, all that stuff's right out the door the minute some other dude has to take care of you and wipe your butt, man. But then there's a, there's a, you're completely helpless when you're laying there. That's yeah. kind of how you feel. And you throw everything into those people around you so you can survive. And the, the bond that's formed through that, the love you have for not only them, but everybody else around you who, who has something to do with you and helps you out. You appreciate even the most little mundane things to the extreme. Wow. 
Same thing happened to my brother. All, all of our guys, you asked them, man, if they've been down and had to have somebody, t- especially our teammates, taking care of us. Because yeah. we're the big, totally, totally, chest totally, and right? but behind the closed right. doors, we have to carry me to the shower and clean me and like that. Like, it's, I don't know. You, it, that stuff doesn't exist. You're not SEAL operators anymore, man. You're just my brother trying to take care of me. Yeah, and just trying just, to survive. Yeah, when we go out the door, you put the bravado on, the jokes fly, and I, uh, I had to take care. You had to, I do this for you. That's great, man. I'll forever be humbled about that. Yeah, and and you can tell she is too. That's the thing when when you when you get to the operator status, and it's not only can I take care of myself, I'm out here to help take care of other people. And then they snatch out the body part away from you that enables you to do that, or the psychological part too. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It it once. They take the body part, and the mind's still racing and ready to go, and the body's not keeping up. There's a, it's, it's kind of a glitch in the matrix. Like, hey, what the hell is happening here? Right. And that disconnect you, you were talking about. Yeah. And having the boys around and everyone taking care of you, man, and if they're joking about it, that man, that just lets your mind know that it's going to be okay. Right. And there's something to that. There's a lot. It's that will to survive, that yeah. will to fight, right? You know, I, I, I in one of my you know, speeches, I talk about that, that greatest medicine that we can give one another, right, is is the love we share for one another. And it's cool because we're all wonderfully unique in how we issue that medicine, right? Some people will do it through humor. Mary, she uses humor as this wonderful, cathartic, you know, medicine for people to come out of their shell to recognize, hey, you know, we, we are connected in our pain. We don't, we don't need to be judged by it, right? Other people, they, they're the motivator. That's what I do, right? I get into them and I, and I get deep in there. Other people might be the, the empathy, right? The hard empathy, the, 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 you know, the, the, so, the softness or the tough love, right? <clears throat> tough love's out there too. And we all do it, but you that. both. You need all of them. I believe right. you need a bit of all of them, right? Yeah. And, and I just think this woman, Mary, is, is I, again, I can't say it enough. Mary, you're, you're a remarkable human being. And, and if you have not found Mary on there, if you're, if you're a new listener, man, first off, welcome aboard to the show. Thank you so much for finding us. I think this show is the epitome of what... <laughs> our show represents in terms of the never quit mindset and mm-hmm. you have been treated to something profound she is a profound human being uh you know if you you gotta go search her out follow her on instagram follow her on facebook you know if you've got an organization that you know needs a little pump needs a little juice you know or you know hire her bring her in to speak she's remarkable i, I just can't say enough if you're coming back for more, Marcus, well, did they get a dose today? Yeah, that you, was something. You know, you know, I mean, seriously, that, and I'm sure, I have no doubt that if if if, if you keep coming and you listen to our catalog, this will be a show that you will listen to over and over and over again. And Wizard, I can't wait to visit revisit this show once we release it down, six months down the lo- line to see what it how it rakes against our other power shows like Tim Kennedy, uh, uh, like uh, Dave Goggins, Goggins, right? So you know, you I get reference to wanting to be a superhero. Always want to be one. I, I mean. She is. I she I mean, is. Look what you've done compared to what everybody else has to go through on the big scheme of things. I mean, you are a superhero. People look to you for guidance and for empowerment. Keep pushing. You know, that's look at what she sacrificed. Right, her innocence, her arms, 
right? Her internal health, her her understanding of love, right? All these and things she's had to take hits on to put her into this almost impenetrable armor that she wears. Yeah, you put that humor force field around that. Oh, Hard to break through it. You can't, man. Uh, That's the strongest thing there is, right? That means that no matter what she faces, nothing is breaking down that superpower of humor. What can uh, you say? There's something about Mary. There is. I knew you were going <laughs> to come back on that. I knew you were going to come back on that. Right? I knew it was coming back around. We hit it hard in the intro. I knew it no, was coming back around. We're running out, around. so, you know... <laughs> Well, listen, if you're joining us at the TNQ Podcast, thank you so much. If you want to know more about us, about our guests, who we've had on, go visit the the website at TNQPodcast.com, where you can also now buy some official what? T-shirts. T-shirts and gear, baby. T-shirts and gear. Uh, You get that stuff on. You wear it around. You wear it with pride. Walking through the airports, driving into work, working out at your box. I'm telling you what, that is the way to represent the Never Quit mindset. We appreciate so much all of you that have contributed, that are buying our gear. We really, we really dig it. Um, All right, right, hold on. All right, Dave, what else we got? If you want to know... Uh, where to find us if you're listening uh, randomly, obviously on iTunes Podcast. You can download the show off the website at TNQ Podcast directly uh, on any podcasting app out there uh, for Android or the iPhone. Now, last thing before we get into our reader story or our listener story today is uh, we, now you can actually find the wizard oh, on man. social media. Mm, we broke true. him down, buddy. Dun, dun. We broke him down. Dun. So just go to Instagram and search the Wizard TNQ, and you can start following him. You can follow. We have a show page now at TNQ Podcast. You can follow me at Team Frog Logic, and you can follow, obviously, Mister Never Quit himself at Marcus Latrell. All right, listener story. This is heavy. This is a super heavy. We one. need like change of tone here, almost. This is yeah. This is, um, it's amazing what people write in, and I was, you know, shocked finding this one. It was just, you know, it took a lot of courage to write this in. I think it, it totally did. And Eric, we can't thank you enough for doing that. Four years ago, I was stuck in a custody battle for my 15-year-old daughter, Zoe. She wasn't handling things well at all, so much so that she was living in a halfway house, but was able to come home and visit on weekends. This one particular weekend, I was planning for us to go to breakfast at the Mug and Muffin in our town and maybe catch a movie. I picked her up and brought her back to the house. She was upstairs listening to music in her bedroom, burning jasmine incense and putting on one of those henna tattoos with a cool sun design on her hand. I went up and asked if she wanted to make some kale chips, and she said, sure, Afterwards, she helped me clean up the kitchen, and she said she wanted to go to bed early. As always, I said, I love you, pumpkins, and she said, I love you too, Dad. I sat down to do some work on my computer and went up a little later to say goodnight. I opened up her bedroom door. John Frusciante's guitar was playing in softly on the stereo, and a string of Christmas lights was lit around the perimeter of her room but I didn't see Zoe in her bed. 
Out of the corner of my eye, and in the dim light, I could see she was standing in her closet. I thought she was going to jump out and scare me, and I said, Zoe, what are you doing? She didn't answer. She wasn't standing in her closet. I called 911. A few days later, over 900 people came to Zoe's wake. 900 people. Her friend Kelly came over to me crying. I gave her a big hug and I said, It's going to be okay, sweetie. Zoe would want you to remember all of the good times you had together. Okay? And then Zoe's friend Sarah came over and said, I'm so sorry. Zoe was so nice to me and she was always smiling. I don't get it. I don't get it either, sweetie. But it will be okay. As more and more people came up to share stories of Zoe with me and to tell me how much she impacted, inspired, and gave them hope, and to me, they were sorry for my loss. I was sorry for their loss because I knew what we were all going to be missing. Her smile, her voice, her energy, and her philosophy to just be. I don't remember a single word that was said at her funeral the next day, but I will always remember the audible click of the casket cover closing forever. It took months before I started to feel somewhat normal. I wasn't eating well, I stopped exercising, and my head just wasn't in the right place. It took a lot of time for it to sink in that Zoe would be so pissed off at me and she knew I was letting all of those good memories from her life stop me from living mine. It was then I vowed to fight for myself, my family, and all of her friends so that we could all find a pathway back to better days. I started to experience Zoe all around me, too. Maybe it was a song on the radio that she used to sing along to. Maybe it was seeing someone at the, with the same hair color she had. Maybe it was seeing a pair of black Chuck Tees. In Greek, her name Zoe means life. And the greatest lesson that she taught me was that we have to rise above the noise to see the beauty in life. And when it knocks you down, you get up every time. Eric, I don't know what to say to you, brother, but thank you for having the courage to write that story in. Mm. Wow. I'm sorry about your loss. Zoe sounds like an amazing human being. And I hope and I pray for you and all Zoe's friends that you can continue seeing her in every aspect of your life. I want to thank God and I want to thank Christ for being in my life to help me find purpose in all the things that I've been through. I want to thank my children, my family, my friends. I want to thank the endless sunshine in my life, my faith. I want to thank you, Eric, for writing that story in, man. It's humbling. I want to thank Mary. Because, man, there is something about Mary that's special. She's an incredible human being that makes me realize that life is good. It's positive. And in the face of all adversity, I need to remain positive and happy and keep my humor I want to thank all the listeners. Without you, 
we wouldn't have a show. And lastly, gentlemen, I want to thank you for allowing me to live my dream and to help other people. Just like there's a lot of death out there, there's also a lot of life. I think if the one thing that, that Mary taught me today or just reinforced kind of deal and then with Zoe, it kind of wake up every morning running and each person you run into, you, you treat it like it's the last time you're ever going to see them. That's kind of how I do things, man, because people can get jerked away from you so fast that you really wouldn't waste any other second being negative or, or worrying about anything else other than spending as much quality time as you can with that person. By doing that, man, you'd be surprised at the life that it, that it opens up. So Amen. we all go through some hard stuff, man, and it's, it's incumbent on ourselves to always look outward and, and when in that direction when, when it does to uh, to get back to center. So thank you, Mary. Um Thanks for everybody to keep bringing us back here and, and letting us do this and passing the good word around about uh, how wonderful our people are. I'm out. Out. Out.